All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, as way of announcements, um, I do want to share uh, just quickly uh, a couple announcements here as we get started. So basically, uh, one of the big things we want to make sure you guys know about is obviously we have Baptism Sunday coming up uh, this coming uh, Sunday. And so definitely make sure that you guys are aware of that, here for that. Um, also want to make sure you guys know about the movie night coming up on Friday. Uh, this coming Friday, uh, showing Life Mark is the movie. Uh, doors open at 6.30, movie starts at 7. And then also men's and ladies' Bible studies are starting uh, here really, really soon. So make sure you guys know about that. All right? Uh, also, food drive. I want to make sure you guys know about the food drive starting up. Um, that is going on actually until the end of the month. So please make sure you know that. Um, if you have not brought food in already, please do so as soon as possible so we can make sure we get that table filled and be ready to go there. All right. Well, unless there's any questions or comments about anything going on, we'll go ahead and jump right in. Any questions about any announcements? No? All right. Well, I appreciate you guys being here tonight. So if you want to open up your Bibles, you can to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to be reading there in just a little bit. Uh, we're not going to get there just yet. We're going to kind of lay some groundwork first. But Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to start in just a few moments. And so if you want to turn there and kind of set it aside or keep your, your finger in there, kind of just hold that marker there, we'd greatly appreciate that. So uh, we're going to jump in in just a moment. But we've been going through talking about this idea of progressive or liberal Christianity. Um, and actually something... Um, Sandra and I were actually just watching before I left to come to church, um, and I was debating about showing it tonight, but I think I'm going to show it next week, um, just because of when I got here and the ability to put it on the computer and all that uh, wasn't going to work out quickly enough to get it ready to go. But I was really encouraged um, by uh, basically some, somebody who's actually in the Anglican church, but not a denomination or a part of Christianity that was amazed about, again, as we said this morning, how much more and similar we have in some teachings and the basics of Christianity than we have in difference. But it blew me away because right now, if you don't know this, in the, church, the Anglican church, along with a lot of other groups in Christianity, Episcopalians, uh, other different denominations, um, they are really starting to embrace uh, this progressive Christianity, this liberal Christianity. And uh, this individual, again, I don't know who this person is. I don't know who they are as far as their position in the church or whatever, but apparently there was some kind of a meeting where they were debating this idea of being more inclusive and more bringing in more of this affirming type language. And this individual stood in this chamber, and I don't know who these people are sitting around them, but they seemed like they were pretty important in the Anglican church, and just shared a speech, a, a talk that just blew me away at the reality of calling people to the word of God and calling them to affirm not what culture says we should believe, but what the Bible says we should believe. And I was just blown away by that. Uh, plus, obviously, being somebody from England said it in a much cooler way than I ever will. Okay. Um, hallelujah. Amen. Um, but so next week, what I'd like to do is I'm going to try to show that. Um, again, it's actually in an article, so I just wasn't sure how to pull that out of that article. So we'll get that good for next week. But just as an encouragement to hear that um, there are still, and this shouldn't surprise us, we're not as some think, you know, this lone voice crying in the wilderness. There are many, 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 many believers that are speaking truth, that are preaching truth, that are holding true to God's word. Uh, it, is, it is very much the, the minority of Christianity that is trying to encourage this type of stuff. It just so happens these things seem to speak louder. 
But I'm telling you, there are a lot within the church, church, big church, okay? Not just local church, big church that are preaching truth, holding the truth, standing for the things of God. And so it shouldn't surprise us, but it was a huge encouragement to hear this individual stand. And one of the things he said is that he overheard basically where bishops in the Anglican church were beginning to pray, affirming prayers over those of different lifestyles. And something this individual said blew me away. He said that no one has the right to bless sin. No one has the right to bless sin. And that just was like encouraging and challenging and and just so powerful to hear him say that so definitively. So next week we'll show that. It really isn't very long, just maybe a few minutes. If it was 10 minutes, I'd be impressed. But um, this individual just spoke very quickly and concisely to that idea. So tonight we're continuing talking about progressive Christianity and really the commandments or the statements of faith of what has become known as progressive or liberal Christianity. So we're on our fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, okay? And again, I'm not saying this is a positive. This is what that, that group, that movement would believe are some statements of faith that we would say again. And you're going to hear it again tonight. You're going to hear a half truth. You're going to hear a partial truth that we can find some common ground on. But then quickly need to move into what does the word actually say. So the fifth commandment, as we've been diving through these, is uh, number five, inviting questions. Inviting questions, and I'll read it a few times is more valuable than supplying answers. Inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. So the fifth commandment again, inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. And so as we try to do every single commandment, as one asks the question, what is this commandment actually saying? What is this actually teaching? That inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Well, this heart really captures, or this commandment really captures the heart of the progressive movements. To invite questions, but never really claim absolute truth in an answer. Okay, to invite questions, but never really claim absolute truth in an answer. So here's what basically we're saying. It's great to ask questions of the faith. It's great to ask questions of God, ask questions of the Bible, ask questions of Jesus, ask questions of salvation, church, right? All these things. And it's like saying we should have a, a, an environment in church where that is encouraged and accepted, where people can come in and say, hey, I have a question about this or that. Or the Bible? Or is the Bible really trustworthy? Isn't it just really just a collection of books that were put together to affirm someone's preconceived ideas? I mean, how do I know this is really trustworthy and and reliable as a place to look to to find out who God is? I mean, isn't the church really just this and this and this? So I want a question about this. I ask a question about this or that. And in the progressive movement, they love that. So again, we're going to talk about a minute. We actually have common ground here. But the progressive movement says, ask all those questions. But then the minute you definitively say from the word of God, okay, great question. Here's the answer. They'll shoot you down. Because the the, the journey to them is more important than the destination. And it's more spiritual, it's more valuable to be on a constant journey of supposed learning and growing and asking questions than to definitively, or the word is with dogma, to dogmatically say, okay, great question. Here's the truth. Here's what the answer says. And people will say, well, no, 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 we can't do that. 
You can't say definitively that's the answer. The better answer is, I don't know. That's really the better answer because it's more about the journey than the destination. And as progressive movement or as the progressive movement goes through Christianity, it's really an effective strategy. Here's the idea. Position yourself as humble and inquisitive. So liberal Christianity positions itself as humble and inquisitive, merely on a journey of discovery. Then position the other side, that would be us, and we'll talk about that in a minute, those that hold the biblical truth, position the other side as less than humble dispensers of rigid dogma. So here's the setup. You come across as, I'm just a humble searcher of truth. I'm just here seeking truth and I'm asking questions and I'm the humble one because I'm really coming in humility. But you that claim to have all the answers, you that claim to say, thus says the word of God or thus says the Lord, you're the problem because you're not really inviting questions. You're rigid and you're firm in your dogma. This is Gully's complaint. Remember, uh, Philip Gully is one of the proponents of this. He argues that the church has been, quote, committed to propaganda, committed to propaganda, and, quote, towing the party line instead of engaged in a vigorous exploration of the truth. Vigorous exploration of the truth. So what's he saying there? What does it mean for somebody to say, I'm on an exploration for truth? If they say that, what are they really saying? Okay, in some ways they might be saying, I'm not really looking for the truth, right? Go ahead. Right. Right. They just kind of keep spreading propaganda, right? Now, is it true that some churches are all about the party line, meaning they're all about either political line or church tradition or just pushing their traditional views? Of course. And that should be discouraged, right? We should be guarded against thinking that's dogma or that's gospel. It's okay to say some traditions do things this way. Some traditions do things that way. We can disagree, but we both preach the gospel, right? There are some people that grew up in certain denominations where they walk into a church service and they see drums on the stage And that's instantly like, I'm out. I can't worship here, right? Because they grew up in a different denomination with a different musical tradition where it was somebody standing at the podium directing, right, with a piano and an organ. P.S., is there anything wrong with a piano and an organ in worship? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with having zero instruments in worship. There's also nothing wrong with using every instrument under the sun to worship. The point isn't so much the music or the instruments we use for worship, it's the heart of the worshiper. It's the content of the worship. If we sang songs that were only focused on self and never about him, I don't care if it's all band or no band, it's still not good worship because it's not directing us to him. Now, we can talk about what he's doing in us, but we better make sure that we're praising him and glorifying him in what he's doing in us and what we're doing for him. And so, again, there are differences of opinion. That's fine. And some people are dogmatic about those traditions. Some people believe this is the only way to do church because this is what I've always known. And I agree. We should ask questions of that. We should be inquisitive of that. We should dive into the Word of God and say, what does the Bible actually say about that? 
But none of those things take away from the things that the Word of God clearly teaches as truth. And we can be dogmatic about the things the Word of God is dogmatic about. If the Word of God says, you must be born again, that except the man receive Christ, he will not see the Father. He will not be in heaven. Unless somebody repents and turns from their sin and trusts in Christ, they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. If the Bible is dogmatic about that, then now I can, not in my arrogance or church tradition, but in the word of God, I can be dogmatic about that. And again, as, as Mike said this morning, does it mean we go into a culture and be as offensive as possible in that culture? No. We find that common ground. We, we, we don't change the message, right? But maybe the way we communicate that message in a different culture, in a different community, in a different language, we can change how we say it, same message. So we don't go out of our way to be as offensive as possible, but we still stand by truth. And again, some would say, no, we're just here seeking questions. Now, it's, it's interesting. There was an individual in my life that years ago that um, started moving away from what we would call more of a, an evangelical faith. So he was moving away from traditional views of God's word, salvation, all that, those things. Now he would be what you would call a universalist. That means he believes everyone goes to heaven when they die because Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, it's applied to everyone. No matter what you believe about Jesus, you're all going to heaven because at the end, God is love. But it wasn't a, this is the crazy thing. It wasn't like a, he flipped a switch and went, okay, now I just believe this. He actually was in an evangelical denomination, in a pastoral position as an assistant pastor, studied the word, Right? would believe, the apart from our disagreements on maybe some of the things with the Holy Spirit, would agree with everything we believe. And you know what's interesting? He started studying about eternal security. He used to believe you could lose your salvation because in his denomination, that was something that was taught. And it started as a study through, wait, is that really what the Bible actually says? And he started studying that for himself and getting away from traditional church views in his denomination. And he was blown away when he started realizing, no, 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 I'm in his hand and his hand's in the Father's hand and no one can take my salvation. And his mind was open and he began to question other things in his denomination. Like, man, it seems like we force more experiences than we really have actual experiences. We're more about the results and the numbers and about somebody saying they got to experience the Spirit instead of actually praying, God, we want to just really experience you with no force, no manipulation. And as that was happening, we're having conversations a little bit here and there, and I was excited for him. This is awesome, seeing him grow and get excited for things of the Lord. And then somewhere in that journey, and I don't know where it was, but he stepped over that line. And it went from, we're all saved in Christ and kept in Christ because of the love of the Father, to everyone is saved now because of the love of the Father. Everyone is going to heaven. And it was almost like he couldn't just question certain aspects of his denominational background. It was like everything was up and everything was wrong. And he threw it all out. This has all got to be wrong because if this, this, and this aren't right, it's all got to go. And he drifted from that to a universalist type mindset. Never saying those words. I don't know if he would call himself a universalist, but in his beliefs, that's what it was. And what I just read you about this positioning, humble inquisitor, rigid dogma, it's exactly in his social media, every post was phrased that way. You know, we need to be more accepting of people on a journey 
be more welcoming to questions. If we don't allow questions, we're just rigid and we're unchanging and we're unmovable in these kind of terms. And, and I, when I was reading this chapter in Michael Kruger's book, it just, this individual kept coming back to my mind in posts that I would read. And if you're like me, I can't spend too much time on social media sometimes because I start getting angry and I have to realize something like, Hey, I, I want to have a friendship with this person. So I probably should not let this silly little difference break this friendship. So I'm going to put this aside and just not read it. And so with this individual, these things were coming back to my mind. This is exactly what they did time and time again. And then you read the comments and people are like, yeah, I grew up in a church like that where they always told you this is what the Bible says and this is what the Bible says. And you know what? I just got out of there because I was feeling so oppressed. I wasn't allowed to be me. Sometimes we have to realize that we are the ones that need to conform. When people say that, well, I, I just can't be me. Well, sometimes me, me, I'm the problem. And sometimes I need to realize that I need to conform to truth, not expect Jesus to conform to me. Right? We don't conform Jesus to us. We conform to Jesus. Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a beautiful creation of God's wonderful hand. You are intrinsically valuable and full of worth and unique. But there's also that sin issue, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And if we aren't careful, sometimes we can step over that line and forget who we really are called to be. So, this view that inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers creates a caricature of Christianity. So when I say a caricature of Christianity, I could say a caricature of any view. What do I mean by that? What do I mean when somebody creates a caricature of something, a view, a belief, a political idea, anything like that? What do I mean by that? What's a caricature of something? Yeah, an over-exaggerated view. I love that. Absolutely. Right? There's some truth in there, a little bit of truth. But what usually ends up happening is it gets expelled and expounded upon, right? You ever go to the carnivals or the fairs and you get a caricature done, right? And the head's like five times too big, right? It's a blown up view of that, right? There's some truth in there. Maybe the person's wearing a hat and there's a hat in the picture. Maybe the hat is a certain sports team and that's in the picture. There's some truth in there. But overall, it's an over-exaggerated view, right? That's what progressive Christianity wants to do against those who would hold to biblical truth. So, is it true that in some church circles, questions are frowned upon or discouraged? Is it true that in some church circles, questions are frowned upon or discouraged? Yes, very much so. But does that mean that all Christianity, all churches... Are that way? Well, of course not. It is not productive or helpful to discourage questions. Churches can tend to give the answer of, quote, just accept what I'm saying and don't question it. See, there's a big difference here. Just accept what I'm saying and don't question it from a man's point of view, wrong. Just accept what God's word says, that's different. But can we still ask questions of it? Of course we can, right? Of course we can. But we need to accept God's word as the answer. Boys, Let's pay attention, okay? Let's stop messing around. So here we see the same thing happening in progressive Christianity. It's an over-exaggerated caricature of the church's view on this. Again, however, that is not the complaint of progressive Christianity. The complaint of progressive Christianity is not, yeah, you know, all churches are just not inviting questions, and that's the problem. The complaint is not merely a lack of encouraging questions. It is actually the audacity to claim that there are absolute answers regardless of how we feel about them. So what's the problem? It's not that you would say, 
you're not inviting questions. The real problem is when we say, okay, now here's the absolute answer to this question. Here's what the word actually says. And that's really the problem of progressive Christianity. Now, the truth is questions are good and healthy. We must study the word to know if the things we are being taught align with truth. When I preach a message, I strongly encourage you, go home, read the word, and critique what I'm telling you. Do it vigorously. Do it adamantly. Why? Because I am a fallen man who, yes, I strive to give you the word of God as I believe it in context, in agreement with God's word, and what the church, not only the Bible, but also what church history lays forth, and all those things. I, I do my very best to give that to you. But guess what? I might be wrong on something. I could make a mistake in, in interpreting the text. And so what I hope you do is you go home and go, let me read that for myself. And if we're being honest, that's the greatest blessing of the Reformation is that the word of God ended up in the people's hands and not just the priest saying, this is what it is, just believe me. The people could read it and go, okay, that is in the word or that is not in the word. And so I hope that you do that because questions are good. Now, I want to look at an example of this. It's one of my all-time favorite examples of this in the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 10. So Acts chapter 17 and verse 10. Now, there's a very popular part of this passage in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is speaking in Athens. And he preaches at a place called Mars Hill. You probably studied this or read this. Right? He's teaching and preaching to a group of very religious people. But right before this, he's in Berea. So he leaves Thessalonica, which is where the church of Thessalonians, the first and second letters of Thessalonians, is written to. So he leaves there and he goes to Berea. So actually, I'm going to ask if I can get a volunteer on this so you guys can not listen to me the whole time and you guys can actually do a little reading and whatnot. So verses 10 through 15, if I have a volunteer that would like to read that for us. Verses 10 through 15. Who'd like to read that? Avi? Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. What do, we, what do we learn in this passage? What are some things that jump out to you in this passage? Okay, they were studying the word for themselves to make sure it was true. Yeah, right. So there was a readiness of mind, right? There was an eagerness. Like there was a desire to hear what was being taught. They weren't just listening half-heartedly, right? They were really in tune with this. Why? Because they realized if this is true, then this changes everything. So we need to know, is this really true? So they, they were prepared. That's the key here. 
Dude, I, I honestly believe this. A lot of people walk into church and walk out and will say things like, that message really didn't speak to me because they entered unprepared. They weren't ready to hear the word. Now, what do I mean by that? Does that mean that someone can come in with a bad heart, bad attitude, the word is preached, and God can't speak to them? No, of course he can. The Spirit of God can work in anyone's heart at any time. Right? He can prick through the hardest outer shell. But there is a point that we need to reference here that they in Berea, more than even in Thessalonica, and by the way, the church of Thessalonica, good church or bad church? Good church, right? As far as we know, it was a really good church. They were also very hungry for the return of Christ, right? They desired for the second coming of Christ. They wanted to see Christ come. And so it's not like this was a horrible place, Thessalonica, but Paul said, or Luke says, when Paul goes to Berea, they were more eager. They were more ready than even those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they wanted to know the word. And so here, again, what does this tell us? We need to be ready. When we come into this place, we need to be ready. Our hearts need to be open. Our minds need to be prepared. What does that mean? We pray, we prepare, we get our hearts and minds ready to receive what the Lord has for us. And so also we see here they're asking questions of the word. They weren't just accepting what Paul said. They didn't just say, oh yeah, Paul, we believe you. We trust in what you're saying. They went back and they studied it. Anything else in the passage that jumps out to you? Avi. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Try to distract and take away and, and yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Anything else that jumps out to you in the text? Maybe not even what we're looking at in specifics, but anything else in the text that stands out to you? What was the result? That's what I'm looking for. What was the result of them hearing the word preached, studied the words for themselves? They believed. And who believed? Okay. Men and women. And as we said this morning, Mike said this morning, in cultural things there, there's some cultural lines here. But all of that went away. It didn't matter. Right? They all believed and they found commonality in Christ. So again, as believers, as followers of Christ, should we be encouraging people to question and dive into God's word and study God's word and know what it really says? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So we seek the Lord first, then we seek the word. And what does the Bible also say? Study to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth, right? So here we see again, progressive Christianity has a caricature of fundamental Christianity. The caricature of fundamental Christianity is of a group of anti-intellectual propaganda dispensers. Well, you fundamentalists, you're just anti-intelligence, anti-wisdom, right? You don't really want to learn. Do you know a fundamentalist, and, and I should do this again sometime. I kind of did this a while ago. Um, I know that term doesn't carry a lot of positive light in our culture, right? Because we usually see it in a negative way with somebody that does something uh, violent or um, hurtful or whatever, and then they get called fundamentalist. Um, we even see fundamentalists in the Baptist church as legalist, right? Suit and tie, you know, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, and all of that. 
Do you know fundamentalist just means somebody that holds to fundamentals of a faith? And do you know that if you believe the Bible is meant to be interpreted literally, you believe in a literal virgin birth, you believe that Jesus literally died on the cross, was literally buried, and literally rose again, you believe that salvation is only in Christ alone by faith through grace, do you know that that would make you a fundamentalist? Like you're one of those? The individual I was referring to earlier when I was bringing scripture to him to try to get a conversation going, his, his comments to me where he kept kind of picking and choosing, well, that's not really what that means. That's not literal. That's not literal. And I said, well, I tend to take scripture literally. I believe it's for literal interpretation. If it's a figurative phrase, it's taken figuratively. If it's a literal historical event, it's a literal historical event. And he said, well, that's your problem. That's your problem. You can't take it literally. And then in a social post a couple of days later, I saw he was ripping those fundamentals who take scripture literally. And so again, that's the caricature. And if you believe the Bible should be interpreted literally and in context, you are one of those crazy fundamentalists in their eyes as well. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. The truth is many, many Christians throughout history have pressed into the Bible and asked the tough questions intellectual, historical, and personal journeys for the truth of the word, and as a result, by the work of grace and the Spirit, discovered solid and compelling answers to these questions. Do you realize that these individuals cast aside as traditional or irrelevant voices in our modern culture? They're just irrelevant because they're tradition. They're older. They, they wrote these books back, you know, decades and decades ago. They can't possibly connect with our modern culture. I will always be irritated when somebody dismisses a voice of the past merely because they are older or, quote, boring. I was listening to a sermon. I don't know how I got to the sermon. I don't even remember the gentleman's name. But this man had to be close to probably 80. And he was preaching. And it was slow, monotone preaching. But it was some of the best preaching I heard in a long time. And I don't see that stuff getting shared on, on social media. Now, I only have Facebook. I don't have the other stuff because I don't, maybe that isn't the case there. But do you know what I do get seeing shared a lot on Facebook and social media? And I'm not opposed to some, I don't know these individuals personally. But I find it's the sermon that has like one quick little phrase, one catchy little phrase repeated like five times or a little nuanced thing here or there. And people are, and they say it with a certain inflection and a certain tone and people are clapping and it's this, you know, amazing, profound yet wonderfully simple statement. And it might be a true statement. It might be a true thing. But I find those things get shared to fire people up. But these voices from our past that were older and wise and teach theological truth get cast aside because, well, they don't understand. Do you know they were on the same journeys that people are on today? Studying and getting into God's word. We must learn from those journeys because as many theologians have noted, there are no truly new questions. There are no new questions of the faith. There are the same basic questions seen from different cultural lenses. Same basic questions seen from those different cultural lenses. So we have to ask the question, which position is intellectually irresponsible? Progressives argue that to hold to the historical truth claims of Christianity is arrogant. The better path is to say, I don't know. So when is a great time to say, I don't know, to a question? It's not a trick question. When is the best time to say, I don't know, to the question if you don't, if you aren't sure? Yeah. So if somebody says, hey, what about this and this, this in the Bible? And you go, I don't know. 
But then you go, what Kelsey just said, and you go and you find the answer. You study for the answer, right? Progressive Christianity says, no, you should always answer, I don't know, even if you know, because that's more humble. It's not humble to say, I know the answer is this, because God's word says that. Again, it's not humility, it's pride. When you say, I don't know, but the Bible clearly says this is what it is, you're not being humble in your pride and arrogance. You're choosing their acceptance over truth. But we speak the truth in love with the word as our foundation. Josiah, I'm going to have you move right up here to this front chair. Okay, bud? Go ahead and move right around here, please. Thank you. Progressives will argue that the problem is you cannot really know the truth claims we make because to them the word of God is not truly inspired. Basically, they claim absolutely that the Bible is not the fully inspired word of God. So what have we been saying all along? We've been saying that the problem with progressive Christianity, or rather the problem with fundamental view versus progressive Christianity, is we definitively say this is what the Bible teaches. Absolutely, this is dogma. And they say to us what? You can't do that. We're all on a journey. You can't definitively say that. But then they will definitively say... With all absolute certainty, this is not the inspired word of God. So what is that view? That is called dogma. Progressive Christianity is dogmatic in opposition to this being the inspired word of God. But yet, when we say this is absolutely what the Bible says, we're told, no, 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 that's not true. You're being too absolute. You're being too dogmatic. So again, the problem arises that they are making an absolute claim while telling fundamentalists that to make such claims about the word is foolish. As Kruger points out, they are, quote, smuggling certainty through the back door. They are smuggling certainty through the back door. He refers to Gully's writing on a person's, a person's perspective on conversion as, quote, childish point of view from someone clearly stuck in a bad theological position. Progressives attack Christians for their certainty while being certain that they are wrong. Progressive Christianity attacks conservative Christianity or traditional, or I would argue Christianity. There's really only one kind of Christianity, by the way. Progressive Christianity challenges traditional Christianity by saying, well, you are wrong, absolutely, because you believe these truths in absolute. An example Kruger uses is the issue of same-sex marriage. Christians historically have claimed that marriage is between a man and a woman. Anything, anything different or any variation of that is sin. Now think about this. Progressives do not say, you know, I just don't know how to answer that question. Progressives don't say, I just don't know. We're all on a journey. I'm just not sure. No, progressive Christianity makes definitive, absolute truth claims that same-sex marriage is not only fine, but must be accepted by everyone. Again, that's called dogma. That's dogmatism. If I say definitively, historical Christianity and the Word of God clearly define marriage between one man and one woman for life, well, that's ridiculous. That's an absolute truth claim. You can't say that to someone because they're on a journey, and who are you to define their truth? But then they will definitively say to me, no, it's fine, and you can't argue against it. So my, the problem again, and it really is what this contradiction teaches us, the real problem is not holding absolute or being certain about a belief or a view. The real problem is what are you certain about? 
That's the problem. It's not, oh, you're holding to an absolute or you're certain about your belief. It's that you're holding to a, certain, to a belief in certainty that we disagree with. Progressives' claims are based in culture, emotion, feelings, and human understanding. Christianity, there is only one kind, again, is based in the word of God. So the world and progressives can and will mock the word. I've been doing ministry a long time. And I will tell you, over the years, working with teenagers, working in adult ministry, there is one constant. The word of God will be mocked. And it's mocked by those who sit in church every Sunday and hear truth and deny it and go and live their lives as they choose. And one day we will give an account for that. And it's mocked. It's ridiculed. We shake our fist in God's face. What did Jesus say? John 17, 17. Your word is truth. And again, I know these are difficult conversations, but the answer is not to say, don't ask questions. The answer is to say, let's ask questions, but let's realize there's a source for the answer. And it's funny how this doesn't really work in any other situation. Like if you go to your doctor and you're having a medical condition and you're like, you know, I think this and this is going on. You don't want your doctor to look at you and go, huh, I've never heard this one before. You know, I don't know. You'd hope the doctor would say, well, let's do some research. Let's do some tests. Let's see if we can find out. Because you don't want an I don't know. What do you want when you go to your doctor? You want an answer. Hey, look, tell me what's going on with me. Tell me what I should do. And here's the funny thing. Why do we go see the doctor? Because we know something's not right. And the Bible says we desperately need a physician. And it's amazing when we're encouraged by the word. But there's some we don't want to hear, but we need to hear because it'll save our lives. It'll change everything. So again, I know that in our culture, this is not popular. And I know people will tell you, well, you're just on a journey. Just, you know, just ask questions. It's more important to ask the questions than to supply an answer. No, it's foolishness to ask question after question after question, to say you're on a journey for truth, but never actually want to arrive at the truth. And the truth is the truth. It doesn't change because of how we feel about it, right? And so again, this is again, just another example of progressive Christianity going back to that view of, don't tell me what the Bible says, tell me what I want to hear. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight, because this is the application of this. Asking questions is great. Study the word. But I would also ask you to be okay with whatever the word says the answer is. And when we're not okay with it, which many times I'm not, there's things in the word that I'm like, really, that's the answer? I don't know if I'm really okay with that. That's where we have to stop and say, okay, my ability to accept something doesn't change whether it's true or false. And so I'm going to pray. And I know we're ending just a little bit early. I was kind of a little bit on purpose. I wanted to give time to dismiss from here so the teens had their time next door and stuff. But I want to pray, and I want to ask the Lord to do a couple things. And so would you bow your heads right there where you are? I'm just going to ask that everybody would bow their heads right there where you are and just begin to pray. If you would do me a favor of just eliminate any and all distractions right now, just try to really kind of focus in on prayer. And as you begin to pray right there, I just want to ask you to think about your walk with the Lord. And I ask you to think about your study habits in the word of God. To ask the question of, am I really diving into God's word that I would know his word?
for myself? Am I spending time in the word to know the word for myself? Am I hungry to know truth? But not truth as I define it, not truth as the word defines it, but truth as the word of God defines it. Am I giving time to the word? I would also ask as you continue to pray there to pray, Lord, help me to be conforming to you and stop expecting you to conform to me. That when your word does supply an answer or does supply direction or guidance or wisdom, as it says it will, that we would conform to it and apply it to our lives. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength. Lord, not just to ask questions and to start conversations with individuals, but to direct them to the word. To speak truth in love, even when it's not popular. Lord, we just pray and ask that you'd give, them wis- give us wisdom in these areas. Lord, I know that in churches all across our country, there are those who gather under the preaching and teaching of your word. And week in and week out through hearts and attitudes, how they respond to your word, how we submit to your word as an authority, we can be conformed to it. But if we're being honest, there are so many Christians in our country and churches all across this land that are mocking the word. They disregard it. They see it as foolishness. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now or anyone listening online that has that attitude about the word of God, that they shrug it off, it's not for me. It's foolishness. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as only you can, you would convict and guide. That we would submit ourselves unto the word, that it would draw us unto repentance, unto the, unto the abundant life. Lord, it was the Apostle Paul that told Timothy that we should, and he should, give himself to the scriptures because it's there that he found the truth of salvation. And so, Father, help us to be students of your word. Help us to ask questions as the Bereans did. Help us to to dive into the word and and to really know what does the Bible actually say and study the historical background of even these things, Lord, because so many of these questions have been asked and there are answers. But, Lord, also help us to conform to your word, to adhere to it, to apply it. And again, for all of For only one reason, really, I should say, Lord, is that you would be glorified. So thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight, Lord. I pray that you would just bless this time. Thank you for allowing us to ask questions of you. You don't have to. But, Lord, you allow us to have that dialogue. You allow us in prayer to cry out to you when we don't know, we don't get it. We don't understand, Lord. I I pray that we would see you as that good and loving Heavenly Father that welcomes your children before your throne, that we might ask of you these things. And then, Lord, help us to be silent and still, and study, that we might know the, the truth of the word. And, Lord, in the areas we don't know, Lord, I'm not claiming that we'll know everything the word has to say before we leave this place, before we leave this world. Lord, there's many things in God's word that 
I will maybe never understand this side of heaven. And when we don't know something, to admit that and be okay with that and to trust you in those areas because of the things we do know of your word. And so, Lord, again, thank you for tonight. And I pray, lastly, Lord, that you'd help us to be like the Bereans, that before we ever step foot into a service where your word is preached, whether it's a Sunday or Wednesday, for the students here, Wednesday night upstairs, and maybe Word of Life kids, Lord, that we would take maybe just even just a moment and just ask, Lord, speak to me. Let me be ready to receive what you have for me, that the Spirit of God might stir within us a move and we might see you in a new an exciting way that we would see that applied to our lives. And Father, thank you for all of this, Lord. Again, be with the students as they have their snack night, Lord. Just bless them with a great time of fellowship, encouragement. And uh, Father, again, we thank you for all this and give us a great week and draw us back together on Wednesday. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.